Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We're going to wrap up a, a series that we started a few weeks ago on David and Goliath. Um, so uh, the last couple of weeks, what we've done in this series uh, is we have tried to dive deep into the context of David and, and Goliath. And uh, I said from, from the moment we started this series that David and Goliath is one of the, the take, most taken out of context stories in all of Scripture. So what we're trying to do is really bring it back to the context, the original context of the message. And uh, what we did last week uh, is we talked about kind of the battle technique that took place in David and Goliath, which was uh, this idea of single combat. So uh, it's the idea of my best versus your best, and that just decides the battle. Now, if you missed last week, uh, I really want to encourage you to go back and watch that on Facebook or listen to it uh, in the podcast, because we went really deep into this practice and how it was viewed by those who practiced single combat. And, and what we actually found was the writings of a Roman historian from the time of Christ named uh, Titus Livius, uh, who described one of these battles in Roman history. And he laid out how it was viewed by those who practiced it. And basically what he said was uh, that in single combat, it wasn't so much viewed as my best versus your best. It was more so my God versus your God. And the human element was actually considered secondary to the divine. And we laid this out really clearly last week. So again, go back and watch that. But we see this underlying belief in the story of David and Goliath because the very first thing that Goliath does on the battlefield is he begins to curse David by his gods. And then David responds by saying, by calling on the name of God, the name of our God. Uh, and, and this wouldn't have been unique to their battle. This would have actually been commonplace to reach the battlefield and to begin calling on your God because that was the belief. It's my God against your God. So when David says that the battle is the Lord's, he said it on a very literal level. Uh, the battle belongs to my God. I have a place in the battle. I have a job. I have an action. But my job is actually secondary to the divine. The battle itself belongs to the Lord. And that was David's belief. And we took it from there to Paul's writings in the New Testament where he said in that same way where it's actually a spiritual and the physical is secondary to the, uh, the physical Paul said the same thing. He said, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's, it's against spiritual forces in heavenly realms. What we see all around us, the deterioration of humanity, is not a physical condition. It's a spiritual condition, and spiritual conditions require spiritual solutions. So next week, we're going to begin a series that's kind of in connection with that truth, and we're going to look at how we have been equipped for this spiritual battle. So next week, we're starting a series on the armor of the Spirit. But this morning, we're going to continue looking uh, specifically at the battle of David and Goliath. And the question that we're looking at this morning is basically, why did this battle take place to begin with? And what does it have to do with me and with, with you, with us? So to get there, we're going to ask and we're going to answer three simple questions. This is going to help us understand the story, what's going on, what's it, what it's all about, and where we fit in. And the first question, we mostly answered in the first week of the series, but I want to expand on it a bit. I want to take the story of David and Goliath and ask the simple question, why is Saul there? Why is King Saul 
in the story. So remember, uh, this story of David and Goliath is as much about David and Saul as it is about David and Goliath. In fact, it's probably more about David and Saul than it is David and Goliath. So why is Saul there? Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago that Saul is the first king in Israel's history. Prior to Saul, Israel is what we call a theocracy. It's a nation that is governed by God. And that sounds kind of strange, but it's actually our calling too. And I don't mean that on a political level or a national level. I mean it on an individual level. In Romans 8, 6, Paul said, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. We are to be governed or led by the spirit of God. And Paul said that to be governed by the spirit is life. Now, I want, I want you to hold on to that for a moment because I want to kind of uh, center in on that. Uh, Paul here uses language that actually connects us to something God said way back in the Old Testament when God was laying out in Leviticus the groundwork of sorts for what a theocracy looks like. And that's what we're going to look at for a moment in Leviticus chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. And I want to stop right, right there for just a moment and make sure you recognize something, that uh, the Israelites are not passing through Canaan. The Israelites are actually settling in Canaan. And what God says is, is I want you to settle in this land, and I want you to live in this land, but do not conform to their culture. And our nation is spiraling down the toilet, in my personal opinion. And you can't control the fact that you live here, perhaps. But you can control whether you conform to our culture. And this was Israel's calling. God was saying, settle there, but don't conform. You don't want to be transformed into to these nations. You want to be an agent of transformation. You are to be the light and be the agent of change. And God talks a little bit, beginning in verse 4, of what that looks like. He says, you must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees, for I am the Lord your God. And then he repeats himself again. He says, keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Now remember, Paul said, the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And here God speaks to Moses and he says, the person who does not conform to surrounding culture, but obeys my laws and my decrees, he says, they will live by them. And it's easy to misunderstand what God is saying here, because to us, to live by something means that's just our way of life. That's just the way that we live. And God is certainly saying that this should be your way of life, but that's not exactly what he's saying in, in this moment. God uses a word here in, in the Hebrew. Uh, it's pronounced something along the lines of kawaii, uh, not the, the state, but koyai. And what it means is to revive from sickness, discouragement, faintness, faintness, or death. So what God is actually saying is don't be like the Egyptians from where you just came. Don't be like the Canaanites where you are going, but instead be governed by the law of God and follow God's ways. He says this is not to bind you, it's not to restrict you, it's not to confine you, but actually it's to sustain you and to revive you. But here's the problem. 
We live in a fallen world, and we have a propensity to sin. It is very hard to live within a culture and not conform to it. We're called to exactly that, but it's hard to do. And for lack of a better phrase, the Israelites failed miserably at it. In fact, they dabbled with sin for so long that eventually they just said, we want out. This, this whole theocracy thing, we want out. We don't want to depend on God anymore. Give us a king. Give us someone else that we can follow, that we can trust in, something tangible other than God. And I think that, that therein lies the two greatest challenges of theocracy or the idea of being governed by God or governed, in our case, by the Spirit of God. The first is the call to holiness, the call to live within a culture but not conform to it, to, to live within a culture that that's, uh, just, just embodies sin, but God calls us to embody holiness. The second is trusting in a God that we can't see because it's easier to trust in something tangible. For the Israelites, they said, give us a king. We can see a king. We can trust a king. For you and me, it might be a bank account. We might say, if I have plenty of money there, I can trust in that and know that I'll be okay when things go wrong. But what God calls us to is to trust in him. Again, they demand a king, and that's where we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6. It says, when they said, give us a king to lead us, they're speaking to Samuel, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. This demand for a king, in God's view, was a, a rejection of theocracy. It was a rejection of God's leadership. In verse 8, he continues. Uh, this is God speaking. He says, As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. So God says, uh, I laid the groundwork for this theocracy that says, do not conform, do not follow the ways and the practices of these cultures. And here he says, that's exactly what Israel has done. They followed the ways of these cultures, and now they've gotten to the point that they're just saying, so I want out. If you dabble with sin long enough, you'll get deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to the point where you just want out. God continues in verse 9, he says, now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So he warns them of everything that the king's going to take from them. And then in verse 19, it continues. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. I want you to notice something here in part why they want a king. We looked a couple weeks ago at, first of all, they wanted a king because they wanted someone to go into battle for them. That was supposed to be Saul. Saul was supposed to be the man that fought Goliath. But the second reason they want a king is because they're looking at all the surrounding nations. What did God say to them in the first place? Don't look at all the surrounding nations. Don't look to Egypt and want to be like them. Don't look to Canaan and want to be like them. But here they are looking at the surrounding nations and saying, the grass looks greener. I want that. And so God gives them Saul. Saul was a man who looked every bit the part of a king. And the Bible says he was a head taller than anyone else in all of Israel. He was a powerful military leader. Uh, in fact, if you'll put uh, 1 Samuel 9, 2 on the screen, 
uh, speaking of Saul and kind of his qualifications to become king, it just says, Kish had a, a son named Saul, a handsome, uh, a, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Anyone else. Uh, two things I want you to notice here. First, he was handsome. Second, he was tall. Remember that, he was handsome and tall, because later, when Samuel anoints David to be king and to succeed Saul, after Saul has been rejected by God, Samuel arrives and he's saying, it's got to be this brother. It's got to be this brother. And God says, no, it's David. And God says that this way in 16:7. Uh, it says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. What were the two qualifications for Saul as king? He was handsome and he was tall. So God says, don't pay attention to his appearance. Don't pay attention to his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Saul looks the part, but absent of the Spirit of God when he faces Goliath, he is cowering in fear at the sight of Goliath. So to answer our first question of why is Saul here, it's because he was the man people wanted. Uh, they didn't want to trust an, an invisible God. They wanted someone tangible. So at the root of all of this, the reason Saul is in the story is because the nation of Israel had rejected God as their king. They had rejected God's rule. Now this brings us to the next question that I want us to look at together, which is, why is Goliath here? Why is Goliath in the story? This is a question that we don't consider very often, but it might be the most important question that we can answer in, in, in this. Goliath is a representative of the Philistine army. The Bible says, in fact, he is the champion of the Philistine army, and it's the only place in all of the Bible that this, this word champion is used. It said he was the champion of the Philistines. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the Philistines are there because of the sins of the nation of Israel. Uh, the Philistines are a people that, that God allowed to be sort of a thorn in the side of the Israelites. And the degree to which the, the Philistines oppressed the, the Israelites corresponds to Israel's obedience and rebellion. But the Philistines, essentially, if you follow the line of the Old Testament, they were a vessel of the judgment of God. And I'm going to show you a few quick examples of that. In Judges 13.1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines, for 40 years, as uh, Judges 13.1. After that, years later, when the Israelites are living under the oppression of the Philistines, God sends Samuel with a message. And this is in 1 Samuel 7.3. It says, So Samuel said to the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashereths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And what will happen? He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. When Israel is doing evil, God says, I'm delivering you into their hands. And when God says, if you'll walk in righteousness, I'll deliver you out of their hands. The Philistines were a vessel of the judgment of God. And uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 7.4, it continues and says, So the Israelites put away their bells and ashereths, and they served the Lord only. And on the verse 13, it says, So the Philistines were subdued, and they, they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. When Israel sinned, God placed the Philistines against Israel. 
and, and this judgment, it looked like uh, the oppression of the Philistine army. But when they returned to God, God lifted that hand off to them. He lifted the Philistine army off of them. And the Bible says right there that uh, when Samuel led them into a sort of repentance, uh, they never had problems with the Philistines for the rest of Samuel's life. But as chapter 8 of 1 Samuel begins, they ask for a king. They reject God, and just like that, the Philistines are right back in the center of the story. And, and who is there taunting the Israel, uh, the Israelites' army for 40 days? It is the representative, and it is the champion of the Philistine army named Goliath. It is the representative, so to speak, of God's judgment against the nation of Israel. So Saul is in this story. Saul is in this story because the people of Israel have rejected God's rule. But Goliath is in the story because the people of Israel have rejected God's commands. If they would have walked in obedience, the Philistine oppression is lifted off of them. But, but because they continue to walk in, in evil ways and reject God, they face the Philistines once more. And here is the representative of judgment against the nation of Israel, the man of Goliath. As a nation of Israel, you can kind of look at this story of David and Goliath and say they sort of brought this on themselves because the oppression that they face under the Philistines is God's judgment on them because they keep rejecting God and they keep walking away from God. So we know why Saul is there. We know why Goliath is there. The last question this morning is, why is David there? And what we find is David is actually there as God's chosen one. David is there as God's anointed. Verse 45 says that he came in the name of the Lord, and he is literally there in the story because his father sent him there. And for David to defeat Goliath is not just to win a battle, it's actually to deliver a nation. David is in this story to bring deliverance and salvation to God's people. And it's to save God's people from the hands of the Philistines, to save God's people, so to speak, out of judgment. And it's to save them from really the consequences of their own sin. That's the reason Goliath is there. That's the reason that the Philistines is there. Their own sin has brought this out. And God sends David to deliver them. And I don't want you to miss this. Because even though the Israelites, through their own sins against God, have brought them this upon themselves... God sends a shepherd to save them. And I don't want you to miss what's going on because when we read the story of David and Goliath, where do we identify ourselves in the story? The answer is we usually identify ourselves as David. We usually see ourselves as the underdog who can defeat any Goliath if we have enough courage. But the Old Testament is actually not a revelation of you. The Old Testament is not book after book, story after story, pointing towards you. It's actually a revelation of Jesus Christ. The entire Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ. And the truth is, we should see ourselves on the pages of the story of David and Goliath, but not as David. We would be the Israelites here. 
We would be the people who have sinned against God and, and brought judgment on ourselves. And even though we have done this to ourselves, there is a father who sent his son. He came out of Bethlehem. He came as a humble shepherd. He came as God's anointed. He came in the name of the Lord. Remember, David said this. He said, I have come in the name of the Lord. What did, what did they cry out when Jesus entered Jerusalem? Blessed be the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what we have is this man who has defeated an enemy that we could never defeat on our own. One man has brought deliverance and salvation that we never could. We fit perfectly into the story of David and Goliath, but we're not David. We are the ones who have been saved by, by, by the anointed of God. David is pointing to Jesus Christ. Goliath is death, sin, it is judgment that we could never overcome. So God sent his son. If you go back to the story of David and Goliath, the only reason that David is there is because Jesse, his father, sent him to the battle. His father sends him to the battle, and he brings deliverance and salvation. If you go to the gospel, it says, Jesus says over and over, I'm here. Why? Because the Father has sent me. I love an image that it gives um, of, of David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Renee, if you would go ahead and come. Um, it says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. So David says, I'll fight Goliath and uh, Saul says, oh, you're too small, you'll never win. David says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. The, the image of a shepherd going after his sheep is one of the most consistent images we have of Jesus Christ in all of the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, it, it says... Uh, God kind of condemns the leadership of Israel because they're not going after the lost sheep. So it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I'm going to do it myself. He says, I'm going to send my servant David. This is after, long after David. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, I myself will tend my sheep. I myself will go after the strays. I'll go after the lost. The same image that we have of, of David and then the story of David and Goliath. The Bible says, if someone comes after one of my sheep, David said, I went after them. I went and I fought for them. I went and I pried them out of the bear's mouth and the lion's mouth, and I slayed the lion. Uh, this is the image of Christ that we're given in the New Testament. No matter how far you have gone from Christ, no matter how far you have strayed from Christ, he will chase after you. He will fight for you. He will leave the 99 for the one because he is the good shepherd. Can you stand with me, church? I want you to recognize in the story of David and Goliath, there, there is a battle that you could not win. <laughs> And there is a price that you could not pay for your sins. There is a, a judgment pending, and it was death. Until the son of David arrived, and he slayed the giant for you. And now because of that, we no longer fight for our victory. 
but we actually fight from a place of victory. The victory has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Every enemy we have, death, hell, and the grave, judgment, has been defeated because Jesus Christ paid the, 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 the cost for you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. this morning and and you're that sheep that's going astray and you know it I believe the word for you is that, that God is saying he has been pursuing you and he has been fighting for you accept that God sees you as worth fighting for. The word of God says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. that he did it for you. But this morning, that is the word for you, is that he did it for you. Lord, this morning we recognize that just like Israel, we're helpless, Lord. And we celebrate this, this morning that, that you sent your son to the battle. the battle that we never could. Church, as Renee leads us, just invite the Spirit of God to search your heart. I pray that your spirit goes with us and uses us for your kingdom, Lord. 
Jesus. Uh, church, again, thank you so much uh, for being here. Happy Father's Day. 8 a.m. on Saturday, we have an outreach meeting here at the church. And there's probably some other announcements too, but you remember them all. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.